1: Today on Watching Your Wealth, we'll look at the financial challenges facing millennials. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Advice for making, keeping, and protecting your money. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth while you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Shannon Schuyler is head of corporate responsibility at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and she's here to tell us about the financial challenges facing wealthy millennials. Welcome, Shannon. Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Shannon, let's go through some of the challenges. What are they?
0: Well, you know, it was interesting. We, I think there was some thought that because of all the technology out there and because of what millennials have seen as part of their parents and other family members and others that they know going through the financial downturn, that they would be more savvy to mm-hmm. think that were going on with their finances. And, in fact, what we're finding is that college-educated millennials are really graduating with a very limited sense of what to do with their money. And about 14 percent answered questions, just very basic questions about mortgages and inflation. They just weren't able to really understand the important, even basic fundamental issues around their finances.
1: Yikes. So not having that important knowledge that they need to have is a big challenge. I would wonder, though, is because we're hearing so many millennials, folks graduating with a lot of college debt, I would think that debt is a big challenge. And maybe I'm wondering if that debt, because they feel so overwhelmed by the debt, they're afraid to like or overwhelmed at the thought of learning about all these financial other financial issues.
0: No, I think that definitely is it. I mean, what we found is that even millennials who are coming out with income over seventy five thousand dollars, which is pretty substantial, that fifty four percent of them are paying for their finances from attending college and 60% are paying if they went on to a graduate degree. And so there is this feeling of this crushing debt and so here you come out and and you get your first job and you go in with kind of being carrying all this extra baggage and so whether it's your student loans, whether it's credit cards that you took out and what we think is happening is millennials are starting their jobs saying oh my gosh this is great I'm making $75,000 and even if they can make everything work out with their rent and with the experiences they want to have with their friends and the standard of living they want, they haven't taken into consideration all those other debts that are coming with them and how to make all those things work together.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of debt if you're talking about credit card debt and maybe school loan debt and all this debt, even if you're having a good time day to day, you're still going out to dinner with your friends and going on vacation. Having that debt I feel is almost like a low-grade infection, like it weighs over, it weighs you down, it makes you tired psychologically and financially, and that's a big burden. And sometimes we overspend, we keep spending to make ourselves feel better, which makes the debt even worse, so it's a real issue. Um, So those are some of the top challenges. What are some action steps millennials can take to overcome these challenges?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that this study found was that millennials aren't comfortable talking about it. Mm. And so I think it's getting comfortable first knowing it's not just happening to one or two people. I mean, this is pretty pervasive right now, that millennials are really the most indebted generation overall. And so this is widespread. And so whether it's talking to your peers or talking to your family or talking to a formal financial advisor, really having the conversation and starting to look at as early as possible, what kind of debt do you have and how can you go about trying to mitigate some of that as you move forward? We know that millennials want to be able to talk peer-to-peer because they want to be able to talk to somebody who knows finances, who actually gets why it's important for them to have the experiences they have, why it's important to be able to uh, go out with friends and and to be a part of a health club and and so they're really looking for people that are more their age to have these conversations with and certainly leveraging different kinds of online platforms, and feeling like they can involve others in these discussions will be a great first step and hopefully less scary than going into a very formalized financial planner that frankly is only worried about your. your very future. And millennials are looking at today, not necessarily what's going to happen 20 years down the road.
1: Right. It helps to go to someone who relates to you and understands your challenges specifically. Maybe someone who even looks around your own age is powerful. I think your point about airing it out, talking about the debt so it doesn't have so much power to it, because I think things we don't talk about really weigh us down. So just get it out there, talk about it. And that way you can solve for it and work towards eliminating it talk about what other financial knowledge do millennials need to acquire even if they're wealthy.
0: Well, I mean I think that the one of the things that's really important is to really focus on being able to leverage those retirement accounts within your organization. We're finding out that only about 36% of millennials are leveraging their retirement accounts and actually using them once they are employed. And about 20% of them are already taking money out of those accounts, and so they're actually being used more as savings accounts versus long-term something to use down the road. And I think it's certainly when you even have a higher income level, not only should you be taking advantage of those and leaving them there, but you should probably be going over and above what the matches. And so if your company matches 6%, but you have much more of a substantial income level that's coming in, put 10% sent in. I think the more that you can do there and kind of take off the table Mm. and really leverage that for something in the future versus now, you're in a much better place. And if you have the ability to be able to put more money aside in those types of accounts, they're really very advantageous for you in the long term, considering taxes and and safety.
1: For sure. I got to play devil's advocate, though. (laughs) Some millennials will say, but why am I saving for retirement? You know, A, I have all this debt or B, I just
0: want to live for today. No, hey, I hear you, and that's what we hear, that this is really uh, a group that wants to live for the experience now. And I think what we're finding, though, with technology and healthcare, this group is actually going to live longer. (laughs) So Uh one of the things to take into account is if you want to continue to be able to have those experiences, it becomes even more important as the average life expectancy continues to go up to be able to save for down the road and to save in a way that's meaningful to you and not taxing to you, but also allows you to be able to have those experiences as you get further in your age, in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond.
1: Good info. Shannon, would you stick around and take our financial version of the Prowse questionnaire? Got it. Great. Thank you so much for your tips as well. You stick around, too. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Beat podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. Now it's time for PwC's Shannon Schuyler to take our financial version of the Proust. Shannon, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Shannon. what's the best financial advice you ever received?
0: Save 10% of anything that you get. Oh, I like that. It's easy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can remember that one. That's a good one. Um, worst financial advice you ever received?
0: Uh, I had moved to San Jose and um, kind of at the time of the bubble, and I was being... Um, pushed by a bank to purchase a house that was a multi million dollar house, and they kept trying to persuade me that I didn't need to put any money down at all.
1: Yikes. Um, I know, and
0: as a good mid- Midwestern girl, I decided to put money down, but I remember they pushed that advice so hard.
1: Yeah, that's really dangerous advice. Fill in the blank. Money can buy?
0: Options. Mm,
1: very true. Money can't buy? I'm
0: um, a romantic love.
1: Oh, yeah, it's very true again. Now, <laughs> if you want a million dollars after tax, what would you do with it?
0: i got to tell you, the only thing I know for sure is I would save 10%, and then it really kind of is up in the air. (laughs) All right. Well, great fun. Thank you so much
1: for joining us, Shannon. Thanks so much. My pleasure. And this has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.
0: WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort.